The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. If you would, please turn with me to uh, the book of Luke. We're going to be in chapter 2, looking at verses 1 through 33. This week is our fourth and final week of our Advent celebration. And uh, our series for Advent this year, it's called Prince of Peace. So far, we've looked at how Jesus makes possible peace with God, peace with ourselves, peace with others. And this week, we're going to look together at how Jesus gives us peace for the future. And if we think about it a moment, I think most of us would agree that humans have a bit of a complicated relationship with the future. Um, Some of us are likely to ignore it because there's fear of the unknown. Uh, Some of us think about the future so much that we can miss out on what is happening right now in the present. And I I want us to consider today the, the possibility that it's only by looking into the past that we can truly have peace about the future. Uh, a heads up, to do that today, we, we won't be needing a silver DeLorean or a flux capacitor or a, a wild-haired scientist to navigate through the past or the future today. Uh, God's Word is going to be our DeLorean. I guess that makes me the wild-haired scientist. I'm sorry if that's disappointing. Uh, but... We're going to have a good time anyways, and the Lord's Word is going to help us. Uh, I also want you to know that our focus today is primarily going to be in verses 21 through 33, but I'm going to start in verse 1 uh, because this is the week of Christmas, and, and what we're going to read here today is, is really the reason for the season, and aside from that, it's just beautiful. So we're going to read Luke 2, and we're going to start in verse 1. We'll go all the way to 33 together, Okay. Here we go. Now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in their fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people." For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. When the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began saying to one another, Let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and found their way to Mary and Joseph and the baby as he lay in a manger. When they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary treasured all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
The shepherds went back, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, just as had been told them. And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him and had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law, then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. Praise God for his word. Amen. All right, so as I told you, we're going to focus uh, on verses 21 through 33. So let's first unpack a little bit what's going on here in 21 through 24, okay? Because what do we got? We got a lot happening. Uh, First of all, we're talking about eight days passing. We got circumcision going on. We got purification uh, things happening. And so what, what, is, what is the deal here? Well, all of this, this idea of purification for the mother and the child, the, the law being referenced here, this all comes from Leviticus 12. If you want to write that down, you can check that out later. But I just want to break down because I don't want to assume either because maybe you've been following Jesus a long time that you totally connect the dots on what all this is about. Uh, or if you're new to following Jesus, I want to make sure uh, we're, we're all kind of on the same page. So first thing is, what is the deal with circumcision, right? Why does the Bible talk about that so much? Oh, it's in the Old Testament, it's in the New Testament. Uh, what, why is that such a focus? Well, it, it goes back to the birth of Isaac, and from Isaac forward, Isaac being Abraham's son, from Isaac forward, it was a reminder to the children of Israel that they owed their existence to God and that they belong to him. And why do I say they owed their existence to God? Well, before God called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees and said, come, go to a place that I'll show you, pick up your tents and start moving and trust me, before that happened and before God gave him this promise that he was going to have more descendants than there were stars in the sky, there was no people of Israel. There were no select people of God. But God called Abraham who responded in faith and believed him. And then God gave Abraham a son, and that son was Isaac. Isaac came to Abraham in his, in his old age when, when naturally it shouldn't have happened. And that's a very intentional part of what we're seeing here. When I say not only were the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob God's people, but they also owe to God their existence is because the fact that Isaac would have never been born if it were not for the miraculous power of God bringing to fruition the promise that he made. Isaac was a miracle baby, much like Jesus. Amen. So if that's what's going on, if, if, if we're seeing uh, that, that, that that's a marking identifier for the people of Israel, and also wrapped up in this, it's a, it's a constant reminder of the fact that you know, we're born into sin, the, the question is, why was, 
why was Jesus circumcised if he was born without sin? You may have been asking yourself that. Well, I thought Jesus was the Son of God incarnate. Why is he being submitted to this ritual that is tied to uh, the fact that we're born as sinners. And that, that also has to do with the purification of the, the mother as well. But maybe you've wondered about that. It is weird to our ears. Why was there a certain amount of days where they were considered unclean, both the child and the mother, before they could come to uh, either the tabernacle or the temple and, and then do the, the rest of what the law required? Why was there that distance of time? Why this language of unclean? Uh, it had everything to do with the fact that God was reminding us and reminding them that we are born into sin because of the sin of Adam, okay? Uh, and so the answer to why Jesus was circumcised is the same as, the, at least in part, right? Who know, Do we understand all that was in God's mind and why he did it this way? Probably not, but at least this much is true. Jesus' circumcision was for the same reason as his baptism, and that's, what, what does that show us? Jesus was also baptized. Did Jesus need to be baptized for the remission of sins? He did not, because he never sinned. So it's really, it's, it's the same reason, the circumcision is for the same reason as baptism. That, and, and here's the deal. Part of Jesus' mission to save sinners was also to identify with them. And so all the way back here in the Christmas story, all the way back here uh, before maybe Mary and Joseph even understood half of what was really going on here with this miracle child that they were entrusted with, we see Jesus identifying with sinners. It's pretty deep. And, and th this time that the mother was, was unclean, that's, like I said, that's to remind God's people they were born in sin. And there's another piece of that. It's also to make a distinction between them and the pagan worship practices around them in the time. Because there were pagan worship practices around the, the people of Israel at the time where they would use sex, they would use prostitution as a form of worship to gods of fertility and the like. And so it has everything to do with God, you know, he, he did not want them mingling those two things together as some other pagan cultures were doing. Much of what God did with the people of Israel that sounds very weird to us, ceremonial laws and dietary restrictions, stuff like that, what God was doing in that time was setting a people apart for his specific purpose, right? For Abraham to have Isaac and Isaac to have Jacob and for Jacob to have 12 sons and for them to end up in Egypt and for Moses to lead them out and then for Joshua and Caleb to lead them into the promised land and then to have the time of the judges, the time of the kings, the time of the prophets and then out of that lineage come Jesus, right? The kids taught us that earlier. You guys knew that answer, right? You just don't like to say it out loud. Okay, Amen. Yeah, I mean, honestly, they set me up great for what I had to get into today. Uh, that was awesome. Amen. <laughs> what I want to make sure we understand and don't get confused about, that, that idea of ceremonial unclean, ceremonially unclean and all that, it, it didn't mean that sex or childbirth are dirty or unclean themselves. Both sex and procreation are good gifts from God, meant to be enjoyed within the safe boundaries of covenant marriage. Okay, so I, I realized that was, you know, was that part of a Christmas sermon? It was because of where we're at, okay? So, and, and you know, it's, it's just important that we don't assume everybody understands the purpose of this ceremonial language or the clean and unclean and the circumcision. And even if you do uh, understand all that, it doesn't hurt to, to hear it again because God had a purpose for everything he was doing. That's kind of the point, right? And, and if you're going to read the Bible in earnest for yourself and really get in there, you're going to hit some stuff that's going to sound strange to your ears uh, in the context you find yourself. So, Sometimes it takes some digging and, and some thinking, and, and then there's still pieces and bits left in mystery. 
uh, partially to keep us humble. Amen? Okay, so that brings us, all of that brings us to Simeon, okay? A man who I'm proposing was at peace with the future. But the question I want us to think through today is how and why, okay? So let's read verses 25 through 27 again. It says this, There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Amen. So, what we're looking at Simeon and here's, here's the question we're posing. Okay, the way he talked, okay, and especially as we go down and we look into where we get some uh, dialogue directly from him, this was a man at peace with the future, but how and why? That's, that's what we're dealing with, okay? And does Jesus make that a real possibility for us? I believe he does. So the first thing we notice is that he was a student of God's word, and that had him looking in the right direction. Why was Simeon a man who was at peace with the future? Well, it says that in verse 25, he was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was looking, and what is that? That's another phrase, consolation of Israel, the idea that Messiah is coming, that uh, the, the shame that's come upon Israel, and, and in the minds of many of them, it would have had to do with them being subjugated under the Romans, but God had a much bigger, grander plan about the restoration of Israel's glory and what all that meant, and that they were going to be a light, right? Not only for themselves, but to the Gentiles as well, to all the world, Okay, but we see that Simeon was looking for, he was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for the Messiah. How could he be looking for the consolation of Israel? Well, he had to be a student of God's word. He had to understand the Old Testament promises, and that was what had his, his eyes focused towards this coming hope. Okay, so the simple fact that Simeon was a student of God's word, it had him looking at least in the right direction. Sometimes that's part of our problem when we have fear of the future or too much focus into the future is we're not even looking in the right direction. Okay? At least Simeon had his eyes fixed where they should be. That really helps when it comes to how uh, we relate to and understand events to come. Okay? The next thing I want to show you, so he's a student of God's word. The next thing I want to show you is, and I hope this already jumped out to you. We see the Holy Spirit mentioned in every one of these three verses we just read. Every single time. And the fact that the Holy Spirit is mentioned so much, it leads us to kind of one of the keys I think we should look at as it pertains to peace about the future. And I think Simeon's example is so super helpful to help us think about this whole idea properly of how the Holy Spirit plays into and, and what his part is in how we perceive the future and whether or not we, have, we are at peace about it. Um, there, I'm not sure if you're aware of this. There, there are some who, who don't even believe... I didn't mean to say it that harshly. They don't believe, I didn't mean to say even, that made it even worse than I meant to sound. There are some who don't believe that this kind of specific instruction from the Holy Spirit still happens today. What specific instruction do I mean? One, that Simeon 
he believed the Lord told him by the power of the Spirit that he would not die before he saw the Lord's Christ, that he personally saw the Lord's Christ, okay? So this is a man of God's word, for sure, but, but nothing in the Old Testament prophecies would have told Simeon, you're going to see the Lord's Christ before you die, okay? So this was a separate instruction from the Holy Spirit that had him looking that way. Secondly, we see him going into the, the temple in the Spirit, Right? So the very fact that Simeon was led into the temple at the moment that Mary and Joseph are there with Jesus, this is a guy walking in the instruction and the guidance and the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, why are there some that don't believe that this is still the way God will deal with us today? Why are there some today that reject the idea that the Holy Spirit could speak to you and me in specifics beyond what the instructions of God's Word give us about how we're navigating, right? Because hopefully we are also students of God's Word. Hopefully we are also clinging to God's promises. But let's be honest, uh, the Bible doesn't answer every question you're ever going to ask about how to navigate your daily life. Is that right or wrong? It's okay to say that. The scripture is perfectly sufficient for what it's intended to be. I believe the Holy Spirit is still actively guiding us today. And, 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 and would it not even be to a greater degree because Simeon was not indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And that's, that's a doctrine that, I mean, should radically change our lives. Jesus, he was born, he lived, he died on the cross, he rose from the grave. And as he was exiting, said to his disciples, hey, wait, I'm going to send you a helper. And they're all freaked out and geeked out, right? Like, no, Jesus, how, you're telling us we got to go make disciples of the whole world and you're about to bounce? What? And Jesus is like, calm down, boys. I'm going to give you something better, than even better than me standing here with you. What? What could that be? Well, what it was was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit we saw happening at Pentecost and throughout the rest of the church history. So what does that mean? That means today, we believe if you come to the place of understanding that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, and that you reach out by faith and ask Christ to save you, that part of what happens as he gives you a new heart is the Holy Spirit of God literally now dwells in you. There is no longer a temple made with hands where God dwells behind a thick curtain. That curtain tore from top to bottom when Jesus Christ died on the cross. There now is no need, once you are made righteous in Christ by faith, for a separation between you and God. The Spirit of God literally now dwells in you. And to think that that's the case, and we're not going to be led by that Holy Spirit, to me, is really concerning. Whether we believe that as a matter of doctrine, or, or it ends up manifesting as a matter of practice in our life. Because it's pitiful. It's probably worse if we believe the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us should be leading us in our daily life and yet not obeying him, not yielding to his leading. And I think we need to, we need to say and we need to be fair to brothers and sisters in Christ who maybe because of intentional or unintentional abuse of this idea of being able to have the Spirit of God speak to us or lead us in ways in addition to what the scripture has said, uh, there, there's been a lot of abuses of that. There's, there's been a lot of, you know, what comes to mind? Well, uh, at any given time, you can find a bunch of jackalopes saying they've got the exact date from the Spirit of God of when Jesus is going to return. And that's maybe the best example because that's not going to happen. Because 
In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. This Word is the Word of God. And so the Spirit of God, who is also God, is, God is not schizophrenic. God has, is not changing his mind. The Spirit of God is not going to say anything to anybody ever that's going to be contrary to the Word of God. That will never happen. And Jesus said with absolute crystal clarity that no man knows the day or the hour of his return. That's reserved for the Father. That puts us in a really interesting situation, and that's what we're talking about today, right? That we don't know the day or the hour, so what do we do with that? How do we live? Well, we can have peace about the future, much like Simeon did, and that's what we're working through today, okay? But um, simply the fact that people have lied in the name of Jesus, the fact that people have lied in the name of the Holy Spirit uh, should not cause us to run from this beautiful reality that God lives inside of us, that his Holy Spirit leads us and guides us. Um, and, and we need the Holy Spirit's help and leading to know, because you can overdo it too, right? You could, you, you could think that what that means is when I wake up in the morning, I don't sit up off my pillow until I hear the Holy Spirit tell me to do that, right? That's probably not what he means. The, the scriptures have given us a bunch of directives that can keep us looking in the right direction, and I'm going to say even heading in the right direction, and then as we are moving and obeying what has been revealed in God's word, the Holy Spirit can fill in details and guide us into specifics. Uh, but we need to be looking and heading in the right, right direction already uh, in order to hear him, and in order to not uh, <clears throat> frustrate <laughs> The, the workings of the Holy Spirit in our life, okay? We don't want to quench the Spirit. That's made pretty clear. I, I see nothing in the Scripture that leads me to believe the Holy Spirit has stopped leading God's people in this way, okay? But then the question is, well, how do we avoid error? Because there is error out there, oftentimes espoused as being a result of the work of the Spirit. Well, as we already talked about, Simeon was rooted in God's Word, uh, and we know that not just because he was looking for the consolation of Israel, he was looking for the Messiah, but Simeon, even more so when he gets into, when he's blessing God as he's holding the baby Jesus, he talks about uh, that this Messiah will also be a light to the Gentiles. And among the Jews of the time, it was very common for them to be looking for Messiah and thinking about how that was going to affect Israel. It was much less common for them to focus on the prophecies or, or speak much about the prophecies that told about this Messiah not just being a blessing to Israel, but to the whole world and to the Gentiles as well. And so we know Simeon, at least to some degree, uh, understood all of that and had a, a balanced view of it. And so he was rooted in God's word. That's part of how he avoided error. When, when the Spirit of God said something to Simeon, Simeon would run it through the word of God and know that those need to line up. And if they don't, then what you thought was the Spirit of God, it might be bad pizza, it might be a demon, I don't know what it is, but if what you think is God speaking to something to you, if it doesn't line up with God's Word, it's out. And if you don't know if it lines up with God's Word, then find people around you who love you and know the Bible to help you figure it out. Don't do anything you think is the Spirit of God unless you know it lines up with the Word of God. Okay? Because the devil also comes disguised as an angel of light. And sometimes it can be hard to distinguish between our own, the voice, you know, our own internal voice, other influences, and or the Spirit of God speaking, okay? You guys didn't expect the last week of Advent to be, be about how to walk in the Spirit, did you? But hey, man, Simeon, it's Simeon's fault. It's not my fault. 
Get after him if you, if you got a problem with it. <laughs> uh, okay, verses 28 through 32. Let's read those again. This is so good. Then he took him into his arms. Okay, Get, this is Simeon, the guy that was looking for the consolation of Israel. The guy that's been waiting that, that the Spirit of God told him he was going to see the Messiah. Now what's happening? That guy took him into his arms. He gets to hold the baby Jesus, and he blessed God, and he said... Now, Lord, you're releasing your bondservant to depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. It's tough for us because you guys know the Bible wasn't originally written in English. Everyone's got that right. Most of the Old Testament is Hebrew. New Testament is a mostly Greek, some Aramaic. This, this, uh, these words from Simeon are, are, are Greek. When you translate them into English, it's not as obvious uh, to our ear. But this, these set of verses I just read you, where he starts with, now Lord, and then ends where he's talking about the light of the Gentiles, it's actually a song. Simeon sings. And I'm not sure if you have ever wondered why we sing so much around Christmas time. Like, why is there Christmas carols? Why is everyone, why does everyone sing all the time? Is that just, you know, something we came up with? Is something that we do? Well, I mean, maybe some of it is, but I, I think some of it comes out of the fact that around the birth of Christ, around the narrative, especially as you move, move through the book of Luke, there's actually five Christmas songs. I'm not sure if you've picked up on them. Elizabeth sings, right? When Mary shows up and and, uh, uh, you know, John the Baptist in the womb recognizes Jesus. So Elizabeth sings a song. Mary sings a song after she gets the word from the angel. It's commonly known as the Magnificat. Zechariah sings a song. The angels, right? There's a heavenly chorus. They sing a, a Christmas song um, that the shepherds got to see. That was pretty sweet. I hope there's encores of that in heaven. I'd like to see that performance. And then the fifth song, the fifth Christmas song we see here is this song of Simeon. And so there is singing all around the birth of Jesus. And so if you've ever, you know, if you're a real kind of doctrinal neatnik and you're very concerned that everything we do line up with the scriptures, you should be. Uh, our singing is not out of bounds, especially around Advent time, okay? That's lots of people, when they either heard about Jesus or got to see Jesus, they just burst out into song, man. It's like a musical, right? The whole thing. It's awesome. Okay. I'm not a big fan of musicals, but I could be convinced as based on this. I may need to give them another shot. I sat with Natalie and Lucy yesterday and watched The Greatest Showman and didn't hate it as much as the first couple times I kind of watched it. So, the Lord's doing a work in my heart, church. Come on. Let me get a witness. Amen. I was, thinking, I was thinking about people singing about Jesus. I'm like, you know what? Maybe I need to chill out about songs in movies. Amen. All right. Uh, so what, what is all this? <laughs> what just happened? Bring it back. You guys quit distracting me. All right. Advent puts us in the perfect position, I believe, to have peace about the future. And Simeon gives us a great example of what that looks like. Okay. And there's a lot more things I could say around that, but I'm going to focus on, on one word here to help us see why I'm saying, why does Advent, and you know, if you weren't here in the first week, I, I, every year during the Advent series, I start out by just saying, okay, the word Advent means arrival. The, the whole thing is about Jesus coming the first time as was prophesied, 
But we can't think about how for hundreds of years before Jesus came, born of a virgin in Bethlehem, that that coming was prophesied. We can't think about the fulfillment of that without thinking, okay, now we're on the, the other side of that, but we're also waiting for a prophesied coming, right? The second coming of Christ. And so Advent, it focuses us, you know, and it can be hard, right? Because we look around at a world that is, for lack of a better term, jacked in so many ways. And it's like, Lord, how long, right? We feel like the psalmist. Where are you at? How, what? And, and you, we, we, could, we could be tempted to be pushed off course of, of a resolute belief in looking as Simeon did for the coming of Christ the first time. We, we could be pushed off of our hope. Um, but Advent, it helps us, man. It doesn't let us despair. It, it, it reminds us there was 400 years of silence from God between the last prophet who prophesied in the coming of John the Baptist. 400 years, man. But God's promises will always be fulfilled. There will never be an exception. And we will, we will never find ourselves disappointed by a promise of God not being held to. He can't do it. God can't lie. He's perfect. The word depart here, and this, we're keying in on this for a reason. It says, verse 29, Now, Lord, you are releasing your bondservant to depart in peace. We're talking about having peace with the future today. And this, this Greek word depart that he uses here, it has, it has several different connotations, and I think they're really helpful if, if we're kind of zeroing in now on Simeon's example of how to think about the future and how to have peace with the future, this word depart, it, it, it can mean, in, in some contexts, it can mean like to release a prisoner. Okay? What is, does, that, does that have any uh, applicable <laughs> uh, application, applicable application? Let me let myself introduce myself. Does that have any application to what we're talking about here, to, for a prisoner to be released? Absolutely it does, right? I mean, there's, there's an element in which this experience of living however long it is we're allowed to live in this plane of existence, it does feel like being a prisoner because we're not where we know we're supposed to be. There's, and there's an ache inside that realizes that. Uh, and people try all different kinds of things to to bring healing to that ache, and the only one that's going to work is by submitting that ache to the, the God that made you and knows how to do something with it. Uh, that ache is actually a hole, <laughs> and it's one that only God can fill through Christ. Uh, so this word depart, it can mean to like release a prisoner. So in, in one sense, Simeon is feeling like, I'm, I'm going to get out, finally. Hallelujah. Secondly, it can mean to like untie a ship to set sail, which also makes a whole lot of sense if we're thinking about it in terms of, I mean, because what is Simeon really saying here when he says, Lord, you're freeing me to depart? The word he got from the Lord was, you're not going to die until you see the Lord's Christ. And so now Simeon gets to hold the baby Jesus in the temple. And what's he thinking about when he says, Lord, now I can depart? This man's thinking about dying. And how does he talk about it? Lord, you're granting me the, the, the possibility of departing in peace. And to depart, it can mean to untie a ship to set sail. That is very much, if the word of God is true, and all this really is the way it's presented to be, 
then that's very much what it's like for us. <laughs> it, can, it can mean, this word depart can mean to take down a tent. There are scriptures that refer to this earthly frame that we have as a tent. And it can also mean, uh, that word depart can mean to unyoke a beast of burden. What does that mean? So you, you got an animal, it's, it's yoked up, it's been working hard in the field, and, and this word can mean to like set it free and let, it, let that weight off of it. Um, I don't know about you, but all those mean a lot to me, especially this year. Because I've felt like a beast of burden sometimes with a yoke on my neck. I've felt sometimes like a ship tied to dock that hasn't got to sail. I've felt sometimes uh, like a prisoner. (laughs) And we can live in peace about the future. And we can live in peace about the present. And these ideas that Simeon puts out here, it helps us to walk the fine line between fear about the future and then only focusing on the future, right? You see, you see the divide there? It, it's really hard to walk a, a straight gospel middle line as it pertains to how we think about the future. Most of us will either ignore it, we don't want to think about it because that's scary, or we will be obsessed with it. We don't have to do either one of those. The truth is, each of us will come to one of two ends, to our temporal journey on this earth. Either we will die, or Jesus will return and claim us. That's true for everybody. And in either case, with the help of God's Spirit, we must wait with anxious anticipation, as if any moment could be the one. Whether you're going to die or Jesus returns, either one of those could happen before this sermon is over. Is that right or wrong? That's right. So because that's true, and because Jesus did say, because the jackalopes with the billboards are wrong, Jesus said no man knows the day or the hour. So if you've got a napkin stowed away somewhere where you watch some YouTube videos and you've got a chart and you're like, oh, I'm good. Jesus, I know when it's going to be 2025 because of math and stuff and I divided something. Throw that napkin away, okay? And quit listening to whoever said that, Okay? Ooh I, I, ooh, I almost just, mm, thank you, Lord. Hey, hey, the Holy Spirit's real. Let me tell you something. Come on now. Ha ha! Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> mm, that is so real. I got to get myself together. Hold on a second. Where am I even at? Come on now. Let me tell you. Okay, I I got it now. So because that's true, because it could be any moment, we could die or Jesus could return. We should wait with anxious anticipation, but also we should work like it could be a hundred lifetimes from now. Both. I understand that it's easier for you to just pick one and hope it's right. That it's going to be really, really soon or it's going to be really, really far away because it's kind of easy to figure out how to live if one or the other is true. What's really difficult is how how do we navigate the space in between it could happen right now or a hundred or a thousand years from now? Which, Which one do I... Well, 
what do we see? Simeon was fully convinced that he would see the Lord's Christ, right? He was convinced. But, but we don't find him in the scriptures sitting in a field staring at the sky. That's not, that's not when he finally saw him. When did Simeon see him? Simeon saw the Christ that he was looking for when he was actively obeying all God had already instructed. The Bible tells us very clearly he was devout. He was in the temple. He was doing the things that God had already said to do. And it was in that obedience, not knowing how long it was going to be before his eyes were actually going to be upon the Lord's Christ, that he found his way and found himself at that blessed moment that he was waiting for. And, and also, he had not become discouraged in the waiting. He, he didn't try to take matters into his own hands or begin thinking that his hope was going to be in his own efforts. I want to be honest, though. I want us to acknowledge that this whole idea is really hard. Living in this divine tension. How do we live in the tension of this divine duality? And by that I mean the potential of Christ's second coming and when it's going to be, or our own death. How do we, how do we, that's tense, man. That's, that feels hard to navigate. How do we do it? Well, I don't want to, I don't want to oversimplify, but Simeon gives us an answer that it, it brings it down to one sentence. We have to be led by the Spirit. <laughs> we have to be led by the Spirit. And you might be saying, well, I don't know how to do that. Well, friends, then the best thing that happened to you today was coming to the realization that you need to be led by the Spirit and you, you don't know what that means. So that you can begin to figure out what that means. How are we led by the Spirit? We're people of prayer. We're people of God's Word. We're people that have our eyes fixed in the direction that God has called us to and we're walking in that direction. That's where we're led by the Spirit. We're people that learn how to get quiet and listen for the voice of the Lord. We're people that know how to read the scriptures and, and not read it like we read any other piece of literature, but every time we approach the scriptures, we're people that pray for the illumination of God, that he would show us the meaning of what he actually has to say. We're not people that come to the scriptures looking for validation of what we already think. These are just some of the ways to be led by the Spirit. If nothing else happens today, but you leave here with a burning desire and an understanding that it is crucial that you cannot navigate this life with any kind of effectiveness if you want to follow Jesus without being led by the Spirit. If you leave here today with that realization and a burning desire to begin to move towards that, then praise God. That's great. And all of us should probably leave here with a burning desire to increase the degree to which we are led by the Spirit as opposed to by our own appetites and thoughts. Amen. We can be at peace about the future because of God's promises, but we can also make the most of our time because the days are evil. That's what Ephesians 5 says. Right? Because if most people, if they're like, okay, I know Jesus is returning before lunchtime. Okay? That's, they're gonna that, that's going to make them have a certain posture of what they're doing. Right? Everyone, people kind of have a list. If you knew you were going to die tomorrow, what would you do? Right? And there, there's, a, there's language throughout the scriptures that gives us a sense of urgency that would almost make you think that's the right. Live, live every moment as if the next moment you're going to die. And, and in one sense, and in, in, in the position of our hearts towards those things, that's, that's true. But there's also a practicality to making the most of our time because the days are evil. There's, 
Jesus could come at any moment, but until he shows up, he's given us a mission to do. There's a purpose for us being here, okay? Now, you're hearing me talk about the importance of, of us working with the time that we have, but, and some of you might be thinking, well, hold on, hold on, Pastor Vince, because you're always saying that the gospel teaches that we aren't saved by our works. It's grace alone by, by faith alone and Christ alone. So what's all this works stuff? And you are absolutely right, and I'm so glad you brought that up. Okay? Let's talk about that. Because it's true. We must never, ever, ever be so foolish as to think our good works can save us. But when we receive God's free gift of salvation, it should stir us with a yearning to do good works. That's what the book of James is talking about, where people get all mixed up. It's like, James arguing with Paul? No. James is simply saying... Good works will always accompany true faith, right? That's like, <laughs> and, and, and some of it, and Simeon was motivated by the promises God had made, but he also, man, when he was holding that, when he was holding that Christ child in his hands, I mean, he sang a song, but I have to assume he also was excited about telling people. Our good works cannot save us, but man, to understand that we're saved because of the love and the mercy of God should stir us to good works. Now, you probably missed it. If you didn't, come talk to me after the service, because I want to give you a blue ribbon. There's, there's a gospel pearl hidden just beneath the surface of these verses, and I want to show it to you. It's real, real quick. I know, we, I know we're running a little bit long. I'm almost done, okay? I told you that the ceremonies and the stuff about days of purity and all that after a birth, that came from Leviticus 12. Let me, let me read you something from Leviticus 12 and see if you can spot what looks like an inconsistency. Okay, Leviticus 12, starting in verse 6. When the days of her purification are completed for a son or for a daughter... She shall bring to the priest at the doorway of the tent of meeting a one-year-old lamb as a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a turtle dove as a sin offering. Then he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, and she shall be cleansed from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who gives birth to a child, whether a male or a female. Then did you hear what I just read from Leviticus? Are you seeing any incongruency with what we read happened as Mary and Joseph came to the temple? Okay? Leviticus 12 said, bring a one-year-old lamb. Mary and Joseph popped up at the temple with what? Two turtle doves, right? So what's the deal? Verse, I'm going to continue in Leviticus. Here's what it says. But if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two young doves the one is a burnt offering and the other is a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she will be clean. What does that tell us? Mary and Joseph were too poor to provide a lamb for the atonement offering. But here's what I want you to see. God wasn't. There was still a lamb here for this atonement offering. You know who the lamb was? Come on now. Mm, that's right. His name is Jesus. God provided the lamb for this one. And so just in case you were, want, you were worried or, oh man, this whole thing, 
Pastor Vince is talking about works and how we think about the future and, and having peace with the future. Man, is, are we getting off from the gospel? Absolutely we are not because we can't turn a page of this Bible without the gospel just being soaked through the thing. Yeah, yeah, Mary and Joseph were too poor. They showed up with two turtle doves, but little did they know they also had a lamb in their hands who God had provided. He's, it's the same lamb he's provided for us because, friends, if we were to come to the temple trying to offer something to atone for our sins, we couldn't. We wouldn't have it. We wouldn't have enough. Every one of us are bankrupt when it comes to that. But God has provided a lamb that each of us may be called clean. That lamb is Jesus. And the question today is not, are you perfect? Can you do better than you're doing? The question today, right now at this moment, is will you trust the lamb? Will you trust in him? I hope that we will. And I hope that means we have peace right now in this moment and peace as we turn our gaze towards the future. Amen. Let's pray, friends. Father, we come before you in the name of Jesus. Thank you. Thank you for these verses. Thank you for Simeon. God, thank you for Simeon. Thank you that this devout man waited in hope for the consolation of Israel, that he trusted your word and your promise. (laughs) And I thank you, Lord, that on that day, he got to hold the Christ child. And then he sang a song. God, I ask you to, I ask you to help us, Lord. I, I, if we're honest, sometimes we think about the gospel. We think about the story of Christmas and what we're celebrating here. Uh, it, it doesn't bring us a level of elation that would make us break out in song. But Lord, we, we want it to. We know it should. So please stir and cultivate in our hearts an elation and an admiration and a sense of awe at the reality of what it is we're celebrating, that the eternal Son of God was born of a virgin in Bethlehem. Thank you that he was the lamb at the temple that day. And thank you he's the lamb for each of us. Thank you, Lord, you've made a way for sin to be atoned. Thank you there's a way that, God, when we've done everything we can to cover ourselves in filth, that you continually do what is necessary to make us clean. Thank you for your mercy and patience and long-suffering. Thank you for dealing with us, not fairly, but mercifully. Thank you for taking the hit so that we could have life. God, please help us as we look towards the future. Please help us not to be people that ignore the, our coping mechanism be just to ignore the future because we're scared of it. But Lord, help us also not be people that are so excited about what might change in the future that we can't be thankful for what's happening right now. God, may your gospel cause us to have a peaceful rest as we think about the future. And may it cause us to move into action, making the most of our time because the days are evil. That is sure. We love you, Master. We thank you for what you taught us today. God, please transcribe it upon our hearts in such a way that it affects our lives. We don't want to be hearers only. We want to also do what you've taught us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church, located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www dot mylovecitychurch dot org